Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome listeners to episode 72 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton and I'm joined as I am every week by uh, my uh, my partner in crime, Dr. Lewis Kirkham, and we also have a guest this week, Lewis. We do, mate. We do this week. We are very lucky to be joined by Dr. Richard Gowan, who is a senior veterinarian and clinical director at the Cat Clinic in Paran in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, which is the very first feline-only specialist veterinary practice in Melbourne. Now, if, we read, if I read from the bio from his clinic's website, in 1998, he graduated from the University of Queensland as a Bachelor of Veterinary Science with honours. After graduation, he actively pursued a position with Australia's first feline specialist veterinary, veterinarian, Dr. Vic Menrith, in Queensland, Australia. And then in 2004, he attained membership qualifications in feline medicine with the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Scientists. And at the moment, his cats are going mad around the house. (laughs) In 2005, he founded the Cat Clinic in Paran, Melbourne, with feline specialist and life partner, Dr. Amy Lingard. By day, he's passionate about caring for every aspect of cats' lives from the routine to their most dire health needs. This is from your website. From the is, web- is that a direct, direct from the website there, Lewis? This is, is it? By, no, yep. yep right. By night, he's an avid foodie and considers himself an overly enthusiastic participant in Australia's fine cabaret scene. Nice. <laughs> mate, this is yes. Wow. Gee, you're really putting on there, mate. Ah. Um, also like, he's also like to be a really good mate of mine and he's such a busy vet we literally had to nobble him at the knees to get him to sit down for a chat today welcome richard and thanks very much for coming on the show thanks lewis thanks robbie it's been uh, 72 episodes that i've been wanting to get on <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to make sure that we were at a, a level of professionalism richard that 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 we would be uh justify you know um you, you're sitting down for us so yeah thanks for joining us today it's a pleasure but but just just to clarify we we didn't actually send someone out from the mafia to hobble your knees you've had bilateral knee surgery haven't you so i have indeed so yep. you cooped up at home here and so we've yep. we've come around with you with the cats and uh and get a bit of insight onto onto what's what's been happening in your world so uh so uh, you know, with the with the knee surgery how are the cats enjoying the uh having you sort of uh, a, a little more more sedentary are they enjoying they haven't given a rat's bum yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> typical cats then typical cats i've been i've been flat out on the couch all day yeah and they still only care when their mum comes home yeah right, right. yeah well, well it's interesting yeah so so given that amount of um you know a sort of ambivalence that that cats sort mm-hmm. of show towards humans in general what got you into cat practice in the first place well, it was it was actually my knees so, your knees yeah they pretty much got me everything so no i just uh i severely damaged one of my knees just before I graduated and uh, yeah I was I had a whole lot of knee surgery in my first year of uni and I needed two or three months off so I enrolled in a feline distance education course yeah right and um didn't actually do anything out of the, the modules I just <laughs> my previous boss just paid for it <laughs> I had to do something and uh, I remember there's actually in the in the in our clinic there's a like a participation or a promise 
certificate that's up on the wall and it says, I promise I will do the modules. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sign it and, and uh, Rob LeBuck signed it, says, yes, I will be your you know, your due examiner. <laughs> and there's only two clients in 20 years that I've picked up. So where's the actual completed situation? Yeah. <laughs> that's the promise. That's the yeah. promise that's to the, do it. It's the vine, it's the marble. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's the certificate that's furthest out of eyesight over all the clients, but it still looks pretty good on the wall. Well, yeah. I've been in the clinic. It's right above the Boy Scout one you've got there, mate. Right the, above the, the, uh, the, the yes, dip, dip, the volunteer, dip, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although the one where you're getting some of your merit badges and stuff. Lots or... of merit badges. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what's, your, what's your your most proud merit badge that you've got, Richard? What's the... Uh... Oh, I think it's sewing. That's why I think I'm such a, uh, a good surgeon. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and the the cabaret, the cabaret scene, mate. You got any uh, any any badges from that or awards from the cabaret scene? Just from your bio. Just my just just my participation medal. The the bar on the, 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 uh, yeah, the everyone gets a bow a day. Yeah. The uh, four left feet medal. Yeah. Uh, no, so I so I spent yeah all that time in um, in re- recovery, and then when I came back from surgery, I just I couldn't kneel down, and in dog practice, general practice, you. A lot of kneeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, couldn't ride a horse anymore. Couldn't ride a horse, yeah. couldn't ride a bike. And, um, and I, was, I was appointed at the, my clinic as, um, as the librarian. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> my old boss found out my mum was librarian. Okay, right. So right. he thought that the Dewey Decimal System would be an awesome <laughs> thing to put into our, into our clinic library. And I just came up with like a colour-coded sticker, like orange, green, blue. And so he was pretty pissed that there was no Dewey Decimal System instituted in the library. But I figured out that the two smallest sections were the bird section. Yes. And the cat section. Right. And I was like, this is... It's pretty good. There's a discrepancy here. I'm going to pick one of these two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to learn as much for either of them. <laughs> but the the bird book, you know, Pat Macwerder's Every Bird. I think yeah. that was about what six pages long. Yeah, that's yes. on everyone's shelf, yep. I reckon. And yeah, so has I'm, beak, I'm, I'm, has wings. Yeah, has. Yeah, feet. but I hadn't read the last page. It said at at all costs, don't touch bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my first ever bird, I pulled out of the out of its cage and. <laughs> I was looking down at it, looked over at the kids, looked back, and the bird had just died in my hand. <laughs> and, and so I just sort of, I sort of, sort of screamed out, "It's having a heart attack!" <laughs> the bird was, or you were? Both of us. And I ran out to my boss, and he goes, "Didn't you read the last page? Don't touch the bird." <laughs> I was like, "That's it, birds off the table." And then I was back like, to the cat section. I was like, "Well, I gave rabbits and guinea pigs and things a bit of a go, but in Queensland." Yeah, yeah, rabbits are illegal. Illegal, yes, so, yeah, yeah. So long eared guinea pigs. Long eared guinea pigs and long eared cats or whatever and yeah. um, if you're if you're a magician you can have one. Yeah. Yes. Or, <laughs> or or a registered child performer. Yes. Oh, performer. Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to go I forgot that word. <laughs> but the um yeah, I think my first ever consult with a rabbit it was in for a tooth cut and my first thing was, I looked over at the work experience student and I was like, rabbits have got teeth? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And then I opened the rabbit's mouth and I was like, holy hell. <laughs> I was like, they're herbivores, man. What are they teeth for? So I was like, that's it. So it was pretty, yeah, it was a, it was an easy choice. It was just down to cats. Yeah, right, okay. And then I went up for a job interview and um, yeah, my old mentor, he loved golf and he loved rugby and... We chatted about those, and he said, "Well, look, if you learn to love cats, you got the job." Right, and that was it. Wow, excellent. So, did you have cats when you were growing up, Richard? Or? I had one. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, he was a great cat. Um, and then my yeah, as a teenager, I had dogs and dogs and yeah, right. Didn't really like cats very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a typical young male thing. And so yeah, we see that repeated in the clinic all yes. the time. You know, people have an and people basically don't like cats for some some reason. They just say I hate cats. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. why? And they're like, well, shit's in the garden or. You know, just they don't like people, or so until you've had a cool cat, you just don't realize. You don't realize, what you're yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing with cats. Like I was the same. Like I'd never had cats until um, Christina and I moved in together, and we were in our house for all of ten days. And she said, "Oh, we've got these two. There's two stray cats at work that, that need, you know, that, that need, a, need a home." And, oh, okay, right. Um, and up to that point, it always had dogs. Mm. Never had cats. And then as soon as you get them and you start to understand the nuances of their behaviour, you sit there yeah. and go, well, hang on, these are actually pretty cool little creatures. Yeah, we see that all the time with, you know, girl has cat, girl meets guy, guy hates cat, and a year later, guy loves cat. Guy moves yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> Next guy comes Boy, in. Boy, finds another guy. <laughs> Next guy that likes like, cats. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah and, girl updates Tinder yeah. profile saying must love cats. Yeah, okay. we've, we've, we've had yeah, a couple of clients who've actually met each other out of the bar and they had the cat clinic in common or oh, they're on really? their Tinder dates and they're like, oh, they love cats and yeah, so I think... And away they go from there. Yeah. Right, have, nice. you, have you thought of running a singles night at the clinic? <laughs> <laughs> no? No? No. No. Think, no. Mate, no. St- stick to treating them, eh? I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of treating, mate, I know that a big a big area of your interest and I want to talk to you about today is um, is you've done a lot of, or a few studies into osteoarthritis in cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and a big part of your sort of the study that you've done was the use of anti-inflammatories in cats, which traditionally, I guess we haven't had to, you know, the availability to use those in cats. Um, can you tell us a bit sort of about, well, perhaps firstly, what is osteoarthritis in cats and how can we know if they've got it? That's, yeah, it's, again, when I graduated, we were told that cats didn't really suffer pain yeah. and um, and if they did show pain, they probably didn't suffer it as badly. And I, I think my old boss towards the end of his, his career was just, he was so bereft by the fact that he hadn't recognized and treated pain efficiently in his yeah. patients. And I think when we all graduated, we were told that pain relief was an add-on for a lot of our anesthetics. You yeah. know, it was part of increased profitability and would your cat like to suffer a little, a lot or you know, no pain, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it was the add-on. And so suddenly we were, we were going, okay, well, you'd look at an x-ray of a cat and you'd look at an x-ray of a dog and you'd see the dog limping and lame and the cat wouldn't show those same clinical signs. And I think the short of it is that we were just asking the wrong questions. Yeah. We were using dog nomenclature and dog screening or human screening. So whinging, you know, changes in mood, uh, limping, lameness, and yeah. those are really uncommon things in, in chronic pain in cats. Um, but it's it's true of all cat diseases that they say that cats hide their signs, and I just don't I don't feel that's correct at all. I just think we're we're looking at them with the wrong questions. Yeah, right. And if you ask the wrong questions, you always get the wrong answers. Right. Um, and so we're always told that cats hide their clinical signs, and I don't think that's true at all because, you know, if, if we then determine that, you know, polydipsia is and drinking more is a sign of diabetes, cats aren't going to outsmart us and say, well, now that you know my my stealth mode of diabetes, <laughs> I'm going to stop drinking more. So I think it just needed a rethink of saying, okay, well, cats don't hide their clinical signs. They tell us in plain sight. Yeah. But we're just looking at them with different aspects or different uh, perspectives. Looking at, with, at them with the wrong prism. They are the wrong, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And so once we started understanding what the clinical signs of pain were, um, especially with osteoarthritis, so dealing, 
again, it's, it's probably from a personal perspective because of it, my sort of chronic pain and, and knee problems. Um, we, we just started using anti-inflammatories off-label and that was just part of what we did. And yeah. my old mentor, he just pioneered a, a random dose and that was what we kind of stuck with. And it's still in textbooks. In Australia, because we're less litigious, we were able to use a lot of these anti-inflammatories off-label and just establish what was kind of our safe barrier in general practice. And so when we came to look at our data, we looked at 10 years worth of our general practice, how did we manage our cats in chronic pain? Yeah. And so we partnered with, um, with one of the drug companies and um, we wrote two of the largest long-term studies of anti-inflammatories in cats. Yeah, right. Just looking at and so what was the reason for them not for there not being the uh the i guess the the data and stuff there in the first place just the you know that the there wasn't the drugs or as you say that we just weren't we weren't looking for yeah we we weren't going looking for it so therefore that you know there was no no data there to try and draw from i mean all the data it generated is generally out of specialist practices and universities yeah and they're not going to be referred arthritis that's something that us as GPs and so that was just an opportunity to say there isn't a a body of evidence there to guide general practitioners but we were doing that for 10-15 years so we just said oh let's just take our data and publish it that's fantastic and that that those are two very very large studies they they weaken the fact that they're general practice and clinician biased Um, but it's our everyday approach to arthritis and a lot of then researchers have taken those and then made you know, elegant studies from them yeah, right. and started to elucidate what clinical signs cats show when they're in pain. And so what sort of, what sort of signs are they that we, that we, yeah, those, as you say, we're asking the wrong questions. So what are yeah. the, what, what are the right questions we should be asking for the signs we look for in cats with arthritis? Well, with arthritis and degenerative joint disease, um, I mean, it's part of a natural aging process. So we know from studies that cats over the age of 12, 90% of them will have, um, evidence of osteoarthritis on x-rays yeah wow. but that's the same as dogs and the same as say 60 year old people but it's not every person or individual is going to show pain in the same way but if we look at screening instead of saying is your cat lame or is your cat showing any exercise intolerance it's changes to vertical movement so 75 percent of the time there's a change to the frequency um, the ease and the height of vertical movement yeah so going upstairs getting on tables um, and that's a really big part of how we talk to our clients. Um, we start the conversation around about eight or ten, yeah. and we sort of just start to plant the seed of okay, just ta- just watch the way your cat gets onto the bed, you know, using that that nomenclature. So um, in humans, you just go and tell your doctor. Yeah, yeah, I, I hurt here. Yep. give me something for it. Yeah, and the thing about one of the things I've got to understand is that cats always look at what's in it for me. Yeah. Yeah, this this is the same. This is always from a protective mechanism of how much does it hurt and how much do I need or want to do those things. Whereas I think dogs and people we don't have those filters. We forget that we're 50 or get with it. And you go gardening and you go and play tennis and then you wake up the next morning and it didn't it hurts like heck. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so we don't So cat, cats are smarter than us, Richard. Is the Cats you know, are much smarter. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's much smarter than dogs, <laughs> especially <laughs> Whoa, we're putting off a whole yeah. 50% of our audience there, mate. Not the 75%. <laughs> but it is, it is true in the fact that we've, we've devolved a dog to overcome a lot of its natural instincts. And, you know, you have a lot of physical outlets with your dog. So you go to the beach, you throw the tennis ball, you're in and out of the car all the time. You have a physical bond with your dog, whereas your cat is just an animal that exists in your house. Yeah. And it does its own thing. Yeah. And so it's motivated by its own innate 
feelings, pressures, survival needs. And if it just says it hurts to jump, yeah, it's in its own individual um, headspace, whether it says I really need or want or desire that outcome. And so I think if there's an, a lot of pain, some cats will say, look, I don't need to jump. Yeah. And they'll meow, they'll develop other uh, facets to be able to manipulate their owner yeah. to, to maintain those outcomes. Okay. The owners will change where they feed their cat or they'll, without even knowing that it's for pain, they'll put a ramp on their cat's on their bed yeah, so the yeah. cat can get up, but they won't see it as pain because it, the cat's not showing lameness and limping like a dog or a human would. So how can an owner, so obviously if, if one of the main clinical signs that an owner's gonna see is, mm. is vertical height jumping onto things, I mean, it's, it's probably a really sort of gradual thing I imagine that mm. occurs. And so how can an owner know that, well, you know, in the last five years, my cat's gone from jumping up on the bed, you know, every day, to now, or five times a day, to now only doing it maybe once a day at night. How do, how do you sort of get, you know, because because such a gradual sort of it change, is, yep. um, is, is there sort of something to do with um, uh, when they go to the jump, is there a lot more pausing before they jump, do you think? Or is there a yep. bit more missing the, the bed? Or what sort of things for owners, what, what can they look out for? Yeah, so really very few clients come into the clinic and say, my cat is in pain and has arthritis. They, the euphemism is slowing down, he's, he's getting older, and I always say, look, if you saw a 20-year-old walking down the street like an old person, you would immediately say, well, that 20-year-old looks like they're in pain. But then if it's an 80 or 90-year-old, you're just like, well, that, you're old. Yep. So it's a relative change, and that's where people, it's just, we all make these compensations. We get out of the chair differently. We use physical aids. Whereas cats will hesitate. They'll judge, how much effort do I need? And then they'll just, they'll lose that cat-like agility where they just glide up to the bed, they glide down. Without even thinking of it, they're yep. just, they're, they're suddenly they're there. And you don't hear them and there's just no effort. And then suddenly they start to slow down or they pause, they, they measure the, the, the effort to get up or down. Yeah. Um, or they'll use other things, they'll use intermediary things. Instead of jumping straight up to the kitchen bench, they might use the stool next to the bench. And that's, and that's just to minimise the, 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 the pain experience yeah, and yeah. the effort required. Um, so do you ask do you ask clients to do videos and that sort of thing, or you just sort of talk to them and, and run through the signs and, and um... Um, somewhat videos, especially if we, we're embarking in a treatment trial. Um, yeah. But we, we're relying on owners' um, subjective opinion because it's an observer um, trying to interpret another individual's pain. Yeah. So we sort of plant the seeds, start the conversation. And then they go back and they start changing their mind's eye. Okay, what did my cat used to be like when it was six or eight? Not when yeah. it was a you know, one or two year old um, kitten. Um, and we're going through this now with this cat. Um, one that's just jumped on, you know, a, uh, yeah. Burmese just jumped straight up onto my lap as a, uh, you know, a, a willing participant in the podcast. Mm. The, the big bone of Burmese. Yeah, the big, big bone. bone. <laughs> the pre-diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting tested very regularly. Um, but it is one of these things of, of when do you pull the trigger? So it, again, because clients are blinded to the pain, sometimes it's up to us to say then, okay, the only way we can diagnose pain is to treat it yeah. and then measure the outcome. Right. And again, it's trying to turn a subjective opinion into an objective measurement. Um, you go to your doctor and you point to the one to 10 scale. Your doctor doesn't argue with you and say, actually, I think your pain's a three. Your pain is your pain. And if you think it's a seven out of 10, great. It's a seven out of 10, it's, yeah. It is what it is. Um, and, and that's the difference about pain is it's such an individual experience yeah so yeah. it's relying on us as professionals to guide our clients to say i think your cat experiences pain and some yeah. clients will really push back because they've read the stuff about 
you know anti-inflammatories and um and and there's some there's some negative information on the internet about um about anti-inflammatories so yeah so perhaps let's touch on that a little bit so certainly um obviously any medication in an older animal you've got to be uh, careful of you know any any uh, illnesses or, mm-hmm. or diseases they've got at the time what sort of things you know uh, are, are we concerned about when using what's well, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory yep. drug isn't it, that we're using um can we say the drug i think we can we're not sponsored are we well we can say the, say the you say the generic, generic, generic right? yeah so it's yeah. meloxicam yeah meloxicam so we use it meloxicam that's what what your trials are sort of been with and the results yeah good results you've had um what sort of things are you looking out for when going on on the non-steroidals on meloxicam well i mean non-steroidals are the basis of analgesic therapy in in all species you know people dogs cats um but in people and dogs at least you've got panadol and other um uh, efficacious modalities we're in cats we're really only left with non-steroidals yeah but we're always taught at university that non-steroidals were really bad for cats and they yes. caused acute toxicity and oh, like, there's always the doom and gloom thing don't give always. cats to don't give anti-inflammatories to cats if you mm. do it you're going to be dealing with iri irate owners because your yep. cats are going to go in renal failure avoid it and that's the thing yep. that was exactly the the mantra that we were drummed into yeah so. and as the generations of non-steroidals evolved um loxicam was the first registered for cats but we, we used it for a good 10 to 12 years off label um and using the dog uh, preparation yeah, cutting edge mate cutting, cutting edge. edge yeah, yeah. right um and then we started to realize what other choice do we have? We don't have any other choices. So we had to start evolving our, our perspectives. And again, through clinical work, we just came up with doses that we liked. But the thing about non-steroidals is that every drug has a relative toxicity yeah. or a therapeutic safety margin. And it's, it's then realizing what you're using it for. Like we have cortisone and we can use cortisone at immunosuppressive doses yes. or very mild anti-inflammatory doses. And it's the same with a with an anti-inflammatory or non-steroidal is that you can titrate the dose. Yeah. How much are, how much risk are you willing to yeah to undergo and what outcomes you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. So if you put a cat on four milligrams per kilogram prednisolone, you know the side effects you're looking for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you titrate the dose accordingly. And it's the same with non-steroidals that we thought well, chronic pain is a different disease to acute pain. Yeah. And that's probably the, the term here is that chronic pain is a disease, not a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. And acute pain is there to protect us, make us stop, make us sit, make us heal. Yeah. And chronic pain is a consequence of uh, maladaptive pain or non healing and there's been a problem with your body, something's gone something's wrong. Something's gone wrong, it's and, breaking yeah. down, yeah. Um, there's inflammation and and so we probably use non steroidals in 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 an ad hoc fashion. We just used one or two big doses and then we expected the cat's pain to go away. Um, and like any disease, we, we then sat back and said, well, you need a, a good long-term outlook of a four or eight week outlook. And maybe let's use reduced doses yeah. because anti-inflammatories, they undo some of the safety mechanisms in your body. Yeah. And we all know that people with heart disease take aspirin or non-steroidals yep. to thin their blood, but that's a known side effect. Yes, we yeah. want to minimize that side effect. Um, it can also cause erosion in your tummy, some gastrointestinal side effects. Yep. But the main one we're worried about in cats is that it, it dysregulates some of the um, the kidney management, especially in the face of dehydration. Yeah, yeah. And so if we use any drug, we want to risk mitigate with our prescriptions. Yeah, yeah. And with non-steroidals, it was about picking the right patient, the right client, education, yep. and understanding that, yes, you could use these drugs in our old patients because all old patients have comorbid or other existing diseases they've got heart problems high blood pressure kidney disease diabetes thyroid problems um and and degenerative joint disease yeah Yeah, so they all coexist so 
90 percent of cats over 12 have yeah. degenerative joint disease and possibly pain yeah um and cats these days are living to 18 to 20 and beyond yeah, yeah. so what do we do so we had to start looking at using these drugs that were in theory toxic yes yeah. um but now we've figured out that they aren't yeah especially yeah. when we educate clients and use these in judicious and cautious doses but when i one thing i say to uh, my clients richard when we're trying to treat these old cats is that okay yes your, your cat's got kidney disease you know and that's and that's terrible and we're doing things to try and help to manage that but if we know that your cat has got osteoarthritis and is in pain um you know if we can try and find the lowest effective dose of the anti-inflammatory that we can manage and maintain that cat's pain, you kind of got to be in for a good time, if not for a long time, you know? And if I I'd say to people, you know, look, it's, you know, not quoting numbers here, you know, Mrs. Brown, but if you've got, if I could tell you that your cat's going to live for six months in pain or three months without pain, which way do you want to go? You know, 99% of the people go, absolutely, I want to take the pain away. And so that's part of that thing that you're talking about, isn't it? It's that thing of, how can we try and improve your cat's quality of life? Well, yes, being respectful of the potential side effects, but in the main step, main part, making sure that those cats have got a good quality of life. And it, it's not until we embark on a therapeutic trial and we say, look, our theory here is that this animal's in pain. Yeah. How do we know? It's that one to ten. We yeah. don't. We're trying to. Um, we're trying to sort of gauge that that individual's experience. So we put them on pain relief for four to eight weeks. And then it's up to us as clinicians to then get them back, gauge the response, but then also look at the risk profile and adjust the doses and really talk to the clients about, you know, watching out for the potential pitfalls of using these drugs. Yeah, yeah. And um, we found that in our studies that the cats on anti-inflammatories lived a very, very long time. Yes, yeah. And yeah. it didn't look like it caused any progression in their kidney disease at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, was, which went counter to everything we were told Oh, uh, I, remember, and all research. I remember when the when the study came out, Richard. Mm. Look, I got this is spectacular. You know, like this is something that you know it's a it's a paradigm shift mm. um, of what we'd always been told, but what we'd always suspected. But now we've actually got something here. We can go. All right. Well, hang on. Now, you know, it's sort of opened the gates a mm. little bit for us to be able to say, yeah, let's let's just get these cats on the. I mean, it certainly gave gave me more confidence in trying to treat these cats that I knew were uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's. It always makes you think because this drug is not re registered when you have comorbid diseases. All yeah. our old cat conditions, you can't use this drug on label. Yeah. So, and that's always going to be the case because we always want vets to think about who they're prescribing it to, both patient and client. Yeah. And you need to have good understanding and teamwork there. Otherwise, you, you could run the risk of some side effects. And we do have some adverse effects in our patients. Yeah. But that, that one-off, one out of 100, one out of 1,000, doesn't stop us because that means that 99% of cats live happier, longer, better lives. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, you look at an antibiotic. You know, mm. the, I don't know the percentages of side effects from antibiotic, but it's a bit, imagine it'd be something similar that, mm. that, you know, you get the odd, you know, an animal has a reaction to antibiotic, so in a similar just, sort of sense. Just regular worming products. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. Just yeah. flea products, eye ointments, everything has... Dermatitis, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I heard someone say once about a cat that had an anaphylactic reaction to fluorescein. Yeah. You right. know? Wow. It's like, you know, just, just the, just it's the, the dye that we put in, into eyes to check for ulcers. I, so, I, had yeah. a, I had an anaphylactic reaction from a, one of those triple eye ointment preparations. Right. Wow. Yeah. Put yeah. it in and it belonged to a colleague of ours. Wow. Oh, <laughs> it was yeah. a bit of a fun time. Yeah. Just put some oh. eye ointment in and yeah. that went a bit flat. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah. But, uh, um, so, so I guess if, you know, uh, Anti-inflammatories, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories mm -hmm. are our gold standard yep. of, of pain relief um, and, and management for, um, for osteoarthritis. 
uh, where do you stand as far as multimodal pain pain control for uh, cats with osteoarthritis? Well, we practice multimodal medicine in everything we do, whether it's inflammatory bowel disease, diabetes, we use nutrition, and it's the same with arthritis. So the big thing for me is non-steroidals are used as to diagnose pain. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I mean, if we're looking at a multimodal um, approach to managing arthritis, then we'll use nutraceuticals, we'll use weight management, we'll yeah. use other medications. So if we think the risk profile is too great or yeah. we the cat's not responding the way we want, then we'll add in other things like weak op- like opiate-type medications, yeah. nerve painkillers. Um, but it's a really difficult one to because we want known analgesic properties to be able to diagnose the degree of pain. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what Go I think with what you know should work first. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If there's an appropriate risk factor, yeah. but um, I think it's probably a throwback from dog medicine. There's there's a very heavy reliance on nutraceutical glucosamines. Yeah. Pentasan. type yep. injections, yes. and they used they don't negate the pain. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. In, in an efficient manner that you can then diagnose the pain. Yeah, yeah. And the hard thing here is, look, if you look at um, pain studies in, in, in cats, they'll, when you give an owner a known placebo, they say, Mrs. Smith, you're embarking on a study and we're going to give you, you, you're going to give your cat a known placebo. Yeah. These, all cats in the study improve 15% in their mobility. Right, okay. So, where, where can we get this placebo, Richard? Wow. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a magic pill. And, and then the cats when they go into the next phase of the trial, they're then given either a uh, pain relief or a placebo. And both groups improve about 40%. Right, wow. So th- that's a crazy number. So this is where we're, we're relying on an owner's observation. Yeah. But the thing is, we know that which patients improve or not because they use basically little Fitbits. Yeah, okay. And they can pick up the number of steps and the vertical height change through the day. And the cats on placebo didn't improve. Right. So this is something that clinicians really need to bear in mind when they're dispensing some of these modalities of what do we know works? Yeah. What is a true analgesic and what is part of maybe managing the progression of the disease? Yeah, gotcha. So we always use nutraceuticals for the management of the progression of the disease, but not to mitigate pain. Gotcha. Right. So, so you give you give a give a little thing of meloxicam and a Fitbit as well. Is that right? Is that the general? We actually go to consult. <laughs> <laughs> we actually did put a Fitbit. Just a rudimentary Fitbit on one of our nurses to see if we could. One of our nurses' cats. It's up and down those stairs every day. And and even a, even a basic Fitbit um, was able to see that change yeah, right. in vertical movements of yeah. about a twenty five percent increase in vertical height movement, number Excellent. of stairs climbed per day wow. um, when they were on a true analgesic. There's um, a potential uh, sponsorship there for you, mate. I think a bit of a collab with, uh, Cat with Fitbit, yeah. Garmin, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the universities use highly um, precise measurement tools, but something as simple as that, just strap a Fitbit to your cat and then you have an objective measurement. And yes, wow. So that was, that was the big difference here is that when you look at some of these other modalities, there's very, very sparse or no information. Um, and some of the new studies are looking at forced pressure plates of cats you know, walking on walking treadmills on and how, going up. And yeah, how hard do they push down when they walk? Yep. Yeah. But this is this is the big part is that, that there's a, a big part to personality or temperament or individual response to pain. And that's yeah. something we can't, we haven't really explored in cats very well. Yeah, right. And it's a huge part of human pain um, research as to whether, say, you're an introvert and you're a sufferer, you're an extra extrovert and you're a whinger. Yeah, these right. Are, these are different things. And if you've got different types of coping styles 
they influence the way you might experience pain and or manifest or show pain. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important part. And that's why all the research in cats is really weak. Yeah, right. Um, we can determine who's got um, pain, but we can't really measure the response to pain easily. There's no tool where an owner can fill out a questionnaire and say, here's a seven out of 10 response based on their observations. Yeah, yeah. So we're still left with having to use the objective measures like, an, um, like a Fitbit type yeah, tool. Yeah. Yeah, um, or, or, the, or the owner's observation, which are often not, not correct, they're not very good observing it. Such a huge placebo yeah. in the observer effect, yeah. and it, it's the same in little kids and infants. Right, okay. So uh, just taking it back a bit, you've got uh, you know Mrs. Jones or, or Mr. Jones brought their you know, 11-year-old cat in, uh, and, and potentially you've got some arthritis issues going on. Where, what's your sort of first step? You want to you help, help with that? What, what, what do owners need to be doing at home, or what, what will you do in the clinic when yep. they first come in? The first thing is really just a thorough health check and establishing how healthy this generally is going to be a senior cat yeah. um, or a retirement age cat. So that equivalent age of 60, what are we looking at as far as organ health? So screening for kidney health. And at that age, their kidneys are going to be fairly robust, probably normal, kid, normal blood and urine results. Uh, blood pressure is normal at that age. doesn't mean they have perfect kidneys. They've yeah. got adequate kidney function for a 60-year-old or yeah, equivalent cat. Um, and they're really just making sure that they're as adequately healthy as possible. If they're a much more advanced cat, hopefully we've been doing regular screening checks. So then we can plot a trend of overall health for that individual right. and say, so okay, you, you mean regular screening checks, sorry, you mean like a general health check and bloods and, and urine, is that yeah, what you're doing? Yeah, regular pathology checks, blood pressure. Yeah. Um, and these are things that, you know, we educate our clients on the, um, the virtues of regular testing, because then we can, we can have a health trend specific for their cat and base our decisions based on a trend, not an individual right. or absolute Just value. Just a one-off number. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so really, that's that's the start: is establishing the overall health of the patient and their suitability yep. to embark on some sort of therapeutic trial. Right. Okay. And so then you'll put them on the straight onto the meloxicam, hmm. um, and then get them back in the six to eight weeks. Did you say? And just say, how's it going? Or yeah. So so if we if we think that they're a very low risk patient, we might just have an email. And the owner uses their subjective opinion, tries to give us a number, is it a six or a seven or a yep. 10 out of 10? If they're unsure, we'll get them to stop the medication. Yes, and yeah, And yeah. when they stop the medication, that's when often they'll see the decline. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been such a slow improvement because it was a slow decline. Yeah. But as soon as they stop it, the cat just reverts back to their old Yes, yeah. behaviors, and that's the stark contrast that we can see. I see that a lot with behaviour meds that I put mm. put uh, you know, cats and dogs onto. Yeah, often owners don't know until you go, all right, let's just drop it up back yep. a bit, and they go, whoa, yeah. all right, it is helping. So that's a yeah. serotonin syndrome. Uh, <laughs> we, we won't go into that, mate. We know, we know that uh, behaviour may not just be stop your, straight away. May not be your specialty. <laughs> Don't we do taper off. I've got, I've got no specialty, by the way. You've got no, but no. Uh, sorry, your special interest. I don't even have special interest. What do we call you then? Cat vet. <laughs> I'm a cat vaccinator. Cat vaccinator. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're dumbing it down, mate. You're a lot higher up than that. Certainly in our eyes you are. Look, um, look, um, perhaps we'll just uh, bring it back a little bit. Yep. Just uh, just a general question uh, that uh, that often owners uh, ask us, Robbie, uh, you know, at, at not kind of, cats, do they need milk, mate? No. Um, Why not? What? The cats love milk. No milk. No, no milk. So Lactose-free milk. That's all right. Lactose-free milk. This is again. This is all about what makes the pet parent happy. And if if lactose-free milk makes the cat and the owner happy, and they have a, a good happy, relationship, good bond, an operant bond, then they're uh, operant bond. Oh, no. <laughs> what are they? Hey, I've been I've been learning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 
I read that in the behaviour. <laughs> Just before you got here. Yeah. I'm pleased to reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the one thing about lactose is that we're the only, we're one of the only species that drinks milk past our infancy. Yeah. So about lactose, cows. Past the infancy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right yeah they, 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 they produce it. What point's a cow not an infant? Hang once on, we're getting this once one it area. starts eating grass, I would have thought. Yeah. Gets, gets, the, gets the veal stage. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and hello to all our vegetarian <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but the, the thing is, lactose tolerance is actually an evolutionary default. Yeah, right. right. So all species become lactose intolerant after infancy. Because we don't, because in our normal diets, yeah. you're not having milk. So as soon as we domesticated cows, people who became were lactose tolerant thrived. Thrived because suddenly they could make yogurt, cheese, high source of protein. Cats were around our farms when we were, you know, evolving, and so squirt some milk into the milk. cat's mouth. Yeah. Right. Okay. So lactose tolerance is actually an evolutionary benefit. So there lactose, in, lactose oh, intolerant go. is actually the normal state for most animals. Oh. Uh, and, and, then as a, and then as a question without notice... I'll learn stuff from podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as a question without notice... Hang on, like, I've always... Uh, learned yeah. from podcasts. You, yeah. you listen to our podcast. <laughs> We haven't talked about that. You didn't say our podcast. This is a first for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of people always go, oh, yeah, oh, my, my cats love eating fish. My cats mm. love eating fish. Cats never evolved eating fish, did they? Like, I mean, you know, it's a fish is something. My theory on that, Richard, is that, you know, when we started, uh, you know, having fishermen and bringing in um, mm. things at wharves, yep. there were rats, and where there were rats, there were cats, and it just happened that then the cats started, oh, I don't mind this fish stuff. Like, would that be a, a, a fair, you know, um, historical bow to draw, or am I just, um, yeah. you know, making up stuff? I think, I'm making up stuff. Yeah. No, no. I, th- I think we need another podcast just for the nutrition side of things. Um, look, fish is probably one of the things we'd see most commonly in regards to a f- food reaction. Right. So dermatitis, gastro, we'll, we'll pull out fish. And we don't know, we think it's more red fish than white fish. Right, okay. Um, the antigenicity is quite different. Um, so how stimulating the muscles are to the cat's immune system. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so... What is a natural diet for a cat? Natural is such a bastardized word in, in nutrition these days, but you know, yeah. cats yes. predominantly eat small things that fly or jump or crawl. Yes. Lizards, cockroaches, insects. Um, and yes, if cats were around fishing villages, then yes, I'm sure fish would have been part of their intake. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's what were around our farms, and that was mice, small birds, yep. you know, eating our crops, and that's how yeah. cats came to evolve or devolve is be around us for safety and yeah. we, we saw them as serving a purpose and we won't hurt you if you take out the vermin. Yes, yeah. And those right. those vermin ate corn and wheat. Yes, yeah. So yeah. they're the two of the things that are vilified in, you know, modern day cat nutrition. Corn and wheat are the devil. You know, right, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, that's when we have these discussions with clients, especially about nutrition these days, nutrition is no longer um, the domain of just the vet. Pet parents are making these decisions based on information from Google and their neighbour and the pet store and yes, celebrity celebrity, celebrity diets and yes. celebrity everything's and and that's the same in our sphere. So you know we've gone through a transition of trying to fight that uh, that misinformation. Yeah. But it's it's such a heavy emotive part for a pet parent these days, and you'd see it in practice all day every yeah, day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And in dog world, it's a bit of you know you can 
do everything, but in cats you need very specific dietary requirements and it's difficult um, to give you know, specific advice, but um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, I think cats are slowly evolving their digestive capacity, um, but they've probably only spent the best part of two to 4,000 years around Us. our habitat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they are still absolute innate hunters at the best of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff we feed our cats is more from what we feel. Makes us feel better yeah. than necessarily a, achieving a, a nutritional goal for the cat. Yeah, so I think as pet parents, we're, we're really focused on the ingredients. Yeah, yeah. We want a bit of quinoa and a bit of kale. And a, yeah, a bit of flaxseed, yeah, you know. And, and goji yeah. berries. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you've got to sort of take the, the, it back to the fact that if there's a cockroach in the house, Cat will eat the cockroach. going to eat the cockroach. They don't go for the goji berry over the no, cockroach. No. Gee whiz. I've got to stop feeding my cats goji yeah, berries because there are cockroaches everywhere in our house. And Melvin and Parker have not gone near one of them. No. What about elderberries or any of those? No? None of the... No? no. no that's, you put a bit of elderberry into their water. Oh, that's, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's where yeah, that one was. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> the feeding stuff, I mean, you're a big fan of uh, feed slow-release feeding devices, aren't you? Um, particularly with sort of weight level going a bit off script here. But, yeah, but, but I know... Oh, if, you, if you look around, our house there's four slow feeders plus a microchip feeder bowl right yeah for fat fatty that's that's comfortable on robbie's See, has, has not got off my lap for the last 15 minutes very very comfortable that's because eating your croissant you got yeah, no. that, <laughs> i think this is this is a big part of what we learned from this whole um nutrition or ingredient focused uh, we were starting to get from our clients and we said well Food isn't the active. So we started focusing on feeding. Feeding is the activity. Yeah, yeah. And it's one thing we don't do with our cats. Cats spend you know, a huge proportion of their natural outdoor life hunting and killing and staying safe. Yes. And now we put them in a in one or two generations, our cats have gone from indoor-outdoor to strictly indoor. Yes, yeah. So they're living in these zoo cages that are bereft of all um, enrichment and entertainment. And we spend this nine to five life away from them and yeah. then we come home and you know, then we go to bed and we wonder why these you know, amazingly intelligent um, creatures start to develop behavior problems. Yeah, and right. so one of the things that we haven't used to, um, to, I suppose, exploit some of their natural abilities, just puzzle feeders or activity bowls. Um, and they're widely available, but they're mostly the really good ones that we use and a lot of our clients have adapted them are using um, dog bowls. Okay. And just slow feed of dog bowls. And it just gets the cat to, you know, this needs, wants, desires. You know, I desire a whole packet of biscuits. Yes. You know, but if you start making, building a barrier into accessing those extra calories, um, we find that cats slow down their eating, but also then start to walk away before they get their fill. Yeah, okay, right, yeah. Right. So the idea is they're sort of working for their food and, yeah. and uh, you know, in, enriching their lives. They're less bored. They have yeah. more activity. They've got to go and hunt for their food. Because, I mean, um, obviously, you know, your apartment is, is quite small, as, as you sort of say, and having that, that, that you know, they just don't go to the bowl and finish what they're eating mm. in, in, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Yep. Um, they've got to go out and find where it is and work for it and, and, and work hard. I really, really love that stuff from a behaviour perspective. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing that we do, it's a throwback from being a dog parent to a cat parent, is that we have these fixations on meal times. This brings you back to that whole, you know, should we feed our cats fish? So we always say wet food is you're creating a, a really important ritual for the cat. Right. You know, it happens at seven in the morning, happens at seven at night. And I could have fed the cats at five o'clock like I have been sitting at home for this week. But as soon as you know, Amy comes home, the cats are screaming and they run and they get so excited because <laughs> yeah. it's creating this, this dependent ritual that happens with her 
And it's not so much about the food because cats generally want to eat 10 or 20 small meals a day. Yeah, right. And with our habits, we sort of say, well, I'm going to limit your food because you're going to overeat and get fat. Yeah. And then people blame the dry food for getting fat. And it's not calories make you fat, lifestyle makes you fat. It's not a specific food type. Yeah, okay. Just dry food is a very calorie dense, high quality food that we tend to feed cats in excess. Yeah. And then we don't exercise them. And it's the same if you have fat children, you're not, they're just sitting on the couch, they're, they're not exercising, they're not yep. playing soccer like they used to, they're not walking to school. So a lot of lifestyle changes have happened. Yeah, right, okay. And we, when we look at it, we look at th you know, through one aspect of saying, you know, you're just getting too much food, or they're not getting enough exercise enrichment, and maybe they're just using food as a surrogate for that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And are you in production, I don't know if we're, we're allowed to say this, we can always edit this out. Uh, there's a big nod there. I'm not sure that's a yes or a no. We can't edit. How's the? Uh, you've got a, a bowl of yourself coming out, haven't you? It's <laughs> something, something we've been working on for a long time. It's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of stuck in um, well, 3D printing oh, production. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> all, right. all right, we'll edit that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Richard, tell us. Um, you know, do cats get asthma? You know, cat coughing cats. You know, um, people may have heard of cats getting asthma. Is that a thing? Cats certainly get bronchial disease and asthma. Yep. Um, there's seasonal patterns of cats getting yep. allergic airway disease or asthma. And um, we see it around maybe April, May, and then again around September, October, either when the seasons change or when the air quality changes, we see a lot of coughing cats. Yeah, what about thunderstorm asthma? They get thunderstorm asthma? I'm not too sure about thunderstorm <laughs> asthma. <laughs> I, I've stumped him, yes. <laughs> All right, go on, mate, asthma. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like, I mean, do dogs get asthma? Oh, they, 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 can, they can get chronic bronchial disease as well. They okay. can have a, an allergic component compared. I mean, it depends. It's, some, it's something that, flat, that causes mm. inflammation in the airway. So whether okay. or not that's uh, from chronic infection or it's from um, irritants or yeah, uh, allergic stimulation. Yep. You know, uh, it just depends. What, you know, do you actually get in there and get a sample of it so that you can say the certain type of inflammation that is, yes, that that's consistent with uh, allergic airway disease, I guess. Yeah, look. I think doing those sort of diagnostics, I think are probably something that our clinic doesn't focus on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with late onset asthma, but they term it more bronchial disease. So you get bronchitis yeah. when you get older. Yeah. And so if you're a young two-year-old oriental cat, a breed that are really prone to allergic airway disease, you take an x-ray and you say, well, that, there's nothing there that fits outside the mold. Yeah, yeah. You probably have allergic airway disease. Yeah, yeah. And what we were used to in the past was, well, we flush fluid into lungs and collect samples yeah. and say, yes, there's this percentage of allergic cells, yeah. infectious cells, inflammatory cells, you've got asthma. Yeah. Um, sometimes response to therapy guides you as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's just reducing some of the risk. Now, if you see an x-ray pattern that doesn't fit the mold, then you should get in there and probably take a sample. Yeah, you know, See yeah. if there's lungworm, fungus, something else. Um, but it, same in people, like you don't even get a chest x-ray. They just send you off for spirometry and they test your lung, your lung function. Yeah, yeah. And they say, well, You've got asthma. Yeah. Here's yeah. some Ventolin. Yeah. Every time you feel a bit of coughing, ch chesty something, take some Ventolin. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we're fixated on some diagnostics because that's what we were told to do. But response to therapy guides us. Yeah. Yeah. So we see a lot of older cats with more bronchitis and especially this time of year, cold air, um, or cranking up the heat and drying yeah. out the air in, in apartments. And so a lot of these eight to 12 year old cats come in coughing and you'll hear it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on cue, I love it. Yeah. There we go. We don't I mean, need side effects, sound effects. Yeah, when we get a bit of a, a cold or something as we get older, that cold probably persists afterwards as a bit of a, 
a low-grade bronchial cough for two yeah, or four yeah. weeks, and that's it. Could be viral, or it could be just consequence of long-term low-grade allergic yeah. airway disease. So, obviously, uh, a coughing in a cat is not a normal thing. That, mm. that, and if your cat has got coughing, you probably need to go and see a vet. Yep. But tell me, mate, coughing up a furball. Yep. Tell me about coughing up a furball. So it, it's a mixed nomenclature, and it's something. Oh, what does that mean? Mixed <laughs> nomenclature. Mixing the words. It's one of the things that. Um, yeah, anyone who went through vet school or me- medicine should understand that, yeah, if you're coughing, you're coughing up air. Yes. And if you're vomiting, you're vomiting up stuff from your stomach. Right, so, so you can't mix the two. If you cough up a furball, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> right, uh, so you're saying the furball, if you're truly coughing a furball, it's fur that's on your lungs that you, or in your airways. It's any way you can do it. Yeah. So it's, it's almost coughing inverted commas. You're, you're basically puking up a hairball. Puking, right. But, you know, people come in and say, my cat's coughing up a furball. Yes. And it looks like that sometimes when a lot of clients will use their phones and, and video their cat and they'll say, he's trying to cough up a furball, but nothing comes up. And that's classic of a cat with airway disease. And the good thing about cats is that if they cough, 98% of the time they have airway disease, nothing else. There are some really bad things in humans and dogs that obviously cause coughing. Cats are just designed a bit differently, so if they cough, they've got airway disease. Right. Um, so it's pretty easy. But vomiting, furballs, that's going to be my, that's going to be on my tombstone. It says, Rich, change this nomenclature. <laughs> Cats <laughs> don't cough up furballs. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. We'll remember that for your tombstone yes. there, mate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's going to have to be. Yeah. Go on. No. No. Uh, no. So um, I guess uh, another area that um. That I know you're really big on, and we touched on it earlier, is introvert, extrovert cats mm-hmm. and cat personalities. Mm-hmm. You wrote a chapter in a, in a book, uh, a, um, a book that I haven't read, but you, you sent it to the, the chapter to me at one stage about cat personalities. What oh, you... It was published in Feline Behavioral Medicine. <laughs> How many, how many chapters have you published? you published Ooh. two books, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yes. Thank you. Thanks oh, for bringing that up. Yes. I, I have got a cat book. Thanks, yes. mate. <laughs> Tell your cat you're pregnant. I sent you a guy for dog owners. Is, cat it, owners. is it peer review? Inspecting your vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Robbie yeah, read I, it. I read it. Yeah, yeah. Robbie yeah. read it. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what Amy reviewed it, didn't she? Yeah, Amy, Amy did. Amy, yeah. Wrote a, Amy wrote a testimonial for me. She did, indeed. Yeah. She's a peer, you know. Yeah, she's a peer. She's a peer. Above all of us. She's just not a cat vaccinator. She's a specialist. No, she is a specialist. But your, your thoughts on personalities, mate? I know you got some big, some big sort of controversial. It's perhaps, not controversial at all. <laughs> in, in, in some people's minds, it may be controversial. Tell us about it. Oh, it's it's hard to invent the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> somebody had to. Though, somebody Richard. had to. Somebody had to. So, and yeah. somebody did yeah, invent yeah. the wheel about eight or ten years ago, but the behaviourists were not very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you invent? Well, in parentheses, introvert, extrovert in cats. Right. And nowadays I see that, you know, my learned behavioural specialist colleagues are starting to try and define the personality types or instead of personality types, temperament types. So coping styles that you're innately born with that you are heritable and predictable from your parents. Right. And, you know, some, you know, oldish studies that look at defining, you know, coping styles or temperament types in cats. And those temperamental coping styles were very stable from kitten through to adulthood. And in the same way that you, know, you, can, you have a, um, a temperament type, you're going to your Myers-Briggs, that doesn't change much through your life. Um, and that just predicts how you'll cope in a social setting 
or under stress. And you know, there are only 16 Myers-Briggs types, um, of which I think in our clinic there's just <laughs> two specific types. There's introvert and then there's me. <laughs> Sensing, caring, feeling. Yeah. Uh-uh. So there's 16 in the cats. How many are you looking at in the cats? Just two. I, I'm, that's, I'm not, I just threw it out there. Are I'm, you saying there's a 17th one maybe? Like there's a cat in, you know, outside of the, the normal personality uh, spectrum? I just think there's, again, it was all through some of the, the pain studies that we found in, in cats at how different cats tended to manifest their pain or behavior changes differently. Um, and just from a general pra- practitioner's point of view, we started to see common links in maybe the way that the cats were coped with their pain or stressful situations, some of their body types, their propensity to overeat, their propensity to um, you know, respond to, say, the doorbell or strangers in the house or other cats. And we started to see, I see, common links between a lot of those traits. Right. And you can predict how a cat might respond to a stressful situation, to boarding. You start to see commonalities of the way the cat presents in the clinic and some of their medical conditions, like feeling lower urinary tract disease. Um, and so there had to be something to that. And so as part of you know, my pain chapter, I mean, I was on pretty heavy drugs at the time when I wrote that. <laughs> um, that sounds like a cop-out, mate. Yeah. Is that what you're gonna say about this podcast? You had surgery? No, no. <laughs> Once upon a time. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So it, it's controversial to say that I'm not a, I'm not a learned behavioral uh, a scholar, practitioner, practitioner in any way, shape or form, yeah. um, but as a cat um, Observer. consultant and, you know, I'd see 20 or 30 cats every day yeah. um, over 20 years, you start to build up a repertoire of patterns and observations. Um, and I think some of my absolute learned behavioral colleagues would see two bad cats a day or cats with severe behavioural problems. They're not seeing the general every day, all day. And it's the same as what did we do with our arthritis studies? You know, what did you, what did you collect over 10 years of data? Something that the, our you know, specialist colleagues aren't seeing. Yeah, okay. So now that we've come up with this idea, I'd just like to see some more exploration by the specialist colleagues right. to define maybe temperament types. I mean, if you'd say you've got a Labrador, I, me as a cat person, I've just got a picture of what a Labrador per- personality or temperament is. And we've bred that down to be fairly stable. Yeah, right. Because we've got breeders who say, this mum has this temperament and this dad has this temperament type and you breed it together. And those puppies should be a product of that, that heritable trait. Yeah, I think the problem with the, the dog, certainly all, I think with all, all animals, is, is behaviour is, is an influence of genetics. Uh, their past experiences mm-hmm. and their current environment. Yep. So it's not necessarily that you've got a Labrador, so it will do this or that. Yep. Yeah, it might have been bred for that those purposes. Uh, you know, most Labradors yet they love food. You could probably say that, but then you'll forget the old outlier. Definitely. Um, so with your so an extrovert cat, what what would you? How do you define an extrovert cat then? Um, the way they behave, I, I think defining them in the consultation is an easier way because that's under a stressful situation. Yes. Because um, people always say, oh, my cat's really confident at home. Like, he's, he's super chilled with us. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say, but your cat in the consult is trying, like, you've asked me to cut your cat's nails because you can't do it at home. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's, that's generally a good one. You're like, oh, no, no, he's, he's really confident. He's really confident at home. But can you cut his nails because he tries to bite us every time we touch his feet? Yeah. You're like, yeah, I think your cat has some issues there. Yeah. And so, and that cat, you know, as soon as you bring it out of the consult, it's defensive. It's 
from bad experiences. But a bad experience is anything that's not under its control. Right, yeah. So yeah. it's being shoved in a cage, driven in a car, put in a waiting room, then a, then a strange person tries to do something with it. So something quite confrontational. And I think you have to have the, a, a temperament or genetic propensity for some of those, and the aversive experience can polarise you further. But in cats, I mean, my opinion is that, that nature is a much bigger part than nurture. Right. So... You just talked about that Labrador, the Labrador with those poor coping skills, and that can be a product of nurture or its its experiences. But if it has some of those, especially say the breeder who's getting hold of some of these puppies initially, isn't going to breed from that. Whereas our domestic cats are a product of one night stands. No one's sitting there saying, hey, let's breed it's you together. Nice, yeah, yeah. And it's just the magic that happens. Yeah, and out in the streets. And then those kittens are rounded up at the, by the, the ranger and taken to the shelter. And then people come and give it a loving home. Um, and generally, we'll say to clients, like, when you go to those shelters, you know, take your kids along. Pick those kittens up. Hold them. You know, give them a bit of stress and see how they respond. You know, a lot of people want to take that kitten that's hiding under the... Yeah, hiding yeah. under the... And I, uh, I, if I adopt this, I will, t- I will turn this kitten around and we'll love it. And I'm like, no. Nah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> in for some hard yards there. That tortoiseshell's not going to be... <laughs> Well, you bring up that, um, do you, like, subjectively, I worked mm. with a nurse years ago who, yep. who coined, you know, for, at least for me, and I'm sure it's, you know, the, the naughty torty. You know, is that as a, a blanket rule, Richard, that you see a lot of tortoiseshells as being of a very um, interesting, uh, you know, uh, way of being able to uh, handle with vets? Or I can know, see, I can see Lewis rolling his eyes, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were some studies that said no, that they weren't overly, you know, Overrepresented, yeah, right. Um, yeah. But then rag dolls in our clinics, some of them are called rage dolls. <laughs> right, um, yes. And there's is the naughty torty, and some breeds are known for just being a little bit less handleable in the clinic. Yeah, right. Um, but I still think that's a, a temperament type or a coping yeah. style. And if a breed, cat breeders are, in my opinion, behind dog breeders when they're looking at temperament and or personality types, and whatever we want to call them, X, Y, or Z personality types. I think there's the breeders are getting more and more um, understanding of how they can influence some of the, the personalities. Like my clients, so many of our clients now have Russian blues. Yeah. And there's so many commonalities now in the behavioral um, types of those Russian blues and ragdolls. And so as we get more and more purebreds, and Australia has one of the highest proportions of purebreds in any country in the world. Right. Um, and we've got fewer and fewer domestic cats. So... There is something there, but it's not up to me to define. It's yeah, just right. something that we're observing. And like, you think about all the, the types of cats that get fill on lower urinary tract disease. Yeah. It's not the happy-go-lucky, extroverted Burmese. Oh, sorry, not extroverted. <laughs> Well-natured, happy, coping, calm. Yeah. calm Confident. Confident. <laughs> well, certainly there's a limit with stress with uh, that lower urinary tract disease. So that, I would yeah, indicate that. Perhaps it's an anxiety thing. I mean, 20% of our pets have got anxiety. They're more likely to get mm. flu if they've got... Yeah, but it's, it's, only per, it's only the certain personality types that get it with. So we see something as common as a massive thunderstorm. And five to seven days later, we'll get an influx of yeah. these cats with straining, straining and, and yeah, blood yeah. in their urine. Yeah, the studies have shown that, haven't they? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it's not the happy-go-lucky, chilled, good-natured cats. 
It's the introverts. I pause. I pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pause there. I mean, I'm, I just bring up. I mean, uh, we could. We, we've we've had uh, tit for tat this over years, yep. which has been fantastic. It's really good. You know, really. I don't get, mind moderating here. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. Be that, yeah. But if I look at that cat, you mentioned the cat that comes in to have its nails trimmed. You know, yeah. and and I could say, yeah, all right. So maybe the owners can't do that at home, but. But there's so many experiences that cat may have had in the home environment when it's tried to do their nails. You know, you've got owners that are potentially uh, not experienced at trimming mm-hmm. nails. You've got the potential that owners hit a nail that's yeah. bled or hit a nerve. Um, and or, or just a cat, you know, some cats just don't like their feet being touched. So there's so many more things in that rather than just, oh, it's an extrovert cat, so yeah. the owners can't trim its nails, so it comes into you and it cracks it at your I, I 100% agree, but it's, again, we've got to start being able to say, okay, let's get over the minutia of these things and saying, there are how many billion people in the world, but we use something as outdated as Myers-Briggs to say, out of you four or five billion, here are 16 personality different, different types. Holes, and then yeah. you can dig down and say what percent I or E you are. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to have some sort of framework to say, okay, the cat that doesn't like this, the cat that does like this, there's the dog that does like that, the dog that doesn't. And the thing is, as a dog, you've been devolved to serve a purpose. You're a hunter, you're, an, you're a fetcher, you're a protector, you're a lap dog. Cats haven't served a purpose. They've literally, in two, two or three generations, been the, the peripheral member of the family, and no one's been there saying, okay, we're going to give you, we're going to select for you to be a human-pleasing animal. Right. And so we have this disparate group of personalities within our cats, some that do not want that, that cloistering, yeah. and others that are just like, I'm happy living in the house as a flatmate, but don't touch me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you have the others that are like Russian blue who, if my nieces come around, they can wear him like a scarf and they can hold him upside down and they can pull his tail and he just loves it. And there are other cats that, you know, would make my nieces bleed. Yes, yeah, yeah a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. Like yes, my cat. and yeah. I, like Olive. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yes. Yeah. But you weren't mean to Olive by all accounts. Yes. <laughs> uh, she might say otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Psychologically, yeah. so, not, yeah, not yeah, on not purpose. Not physically, yeah. yeah. No. So we we send as your cattery, so in that way we <laughs> in some respect. She was fired to you. No, no. Well, she's she's been fired from every other cattery. In Melbourne. <laughs> she she yes, she has been banned mm. from a few of them. But yeah. we'll talk about that later. So the thing is, there has to be a start to to take this conversation further. And I see our colleague Dr. Leahy and some of the other colleagues have have been um, trying to define those yeah. words. Well, yeah, and well, Jackie, Jackie did a PhD on it, Jackie yeah. Lay, on, on dogs and personalities and stuff, and, and there, there is some merit to it, I think. Yeah. And I certainly what you're saying, and I, I really like the way that you're putting yourself out there, you know, that you're saying, you're, you're pushing it forward, that I've got these ideas, and I think that's the sort of person like you that is needed crazy to, man. to make people think, well, I would say crazy man. I don't know this. Look, shaman, I think they're also called, you know, the <laughs> Deepak Chopra. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but temp- the thing here is, I, I say temperament is, is born and personality is made. Because the personality is something we, we um, transpose on our cats, but temperament is a her- heritable trait. Wow. There we that's, go. That's, yeah. that's, my, that's my non-understanding. And I, I've still got some unopened behavioral yeah, journals is, back here. That's a big um, I have it in paper. Yeah. But that, that's the way I relay it to clients. And when, especially, tr- again, there is such a link between disease. And that's why that textbook that I wrote that chapter for, it's behavioral medicine. And you'd know that there's a lot of medical basis to behavioral disorders. It's not all just your cat is 
crazy, can't cope, doesn't love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, there's there's something going on there. There's a yeah. there's a there's a reason for why that cat is acting that way. Same as what there's reasons why people act different ways to mm. different things. You know? yep. Yeah, and it's it, it's often. Yeah, I think you, you hit on it really well, Richard, where you're saying, so even with the human personality thing, you're saying you've got your 16 different Maya, you know, whoever's... Maya Briggs. Yeah, Maya Briggs ways of trying to... You know, um, I mean, even, as you said, with the billions of people, mm. that's still pretty binary, isn't yep. it? You know? Um, but it gives you a starting point to be able to take a conversation further. Yeah. You're yeah. an introvert. Okay, so if, if you're in a workplace, you understand how you may have to interact with an introvert. Yeah, yeah. Other, 15 of them at work and you can't just come in charging you there's different ways there's nuances of in the way you're supposed to <laughs> n- not, we, hit, not hit your star will we go into that yeah that was the next, next thing on the topic <laughs> thanks for the segue into that <laughs> oh, the, um, look we are running out of time mate so look uh, I guess um, just just sort of sum things up you know um, obviously you got the personality stuff anything new on the horizon that, that, that what excites you is there anything that uh, you know that that, uh, that you got coming up in the future apart from recovering from bilateral knee surgery um no all right great no thanks so much nothing there's there's nothing really on the horizon um it's just continuing to enjoy um this great profession and um, nurture the young bits that are coming through our practice and um yeah in a nutshell what is like what's the disease that you really like to treat what's the thing that you feel like you can really make a difference when someone comes in you go Terrific! I can really do do some do work wonders um, with you. Apart from nail trimming, yeah. What's well, not a disease? <laughs> uh, I enjoy treating roundworm. Right, good. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Just a wormer. Yeah, yeah. worming. Good. Yeah. Worming. Back um, of the neck, mate, or a tablet guy. Yeah, uh, vaccination deficiencies. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, yeah that's another big um, one. Yeah, excellent. I feel like you're not taking this question seriously. <laughs> All right, mate. Hey, look, so, uh, perhaps um, you know where can people find you? You know, you've you've got the... apart from on the couch. Um, yes, yeah. So Sundays will be Keysborough Golf Course. Fantastic, good. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Just driving the cart around. For now, yeah. For now, yeah. <laughs> my electric golf buggy back there. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, we are, at my, you're, you're at my cabaret shows. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, yeah. Yes. Where's your next one, mate? Go on, coming up. Want to give it a plug? Yeah, the Moulin Rouge. Fantastic. Twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. What is your favourite colour as a feather boa, Richard? I mean, I've got a, I've got an idea in my head, but I don't want to, I don't want to sort of jump to conclusions. It's, uh, it's one you may not. It's um, bright uh, fluoro yellow. I oh, see. Right. I would. I, I was actually thinking maroon. Well, oh, that's I, I, I know, going. mate. They're the ones that match these nipple covers. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the. I'm the, I'm the singing budgie number two. Oh, fantastic. There you go. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Excellent. All right, mate, but you are, you, you are at the cat clinic. So if people, if you've got a cat um, and, uh, and it's got a bit of a, a sticky problem or you're in, in Melbourne. Come see uh, Amy. Can, yeah, well, come and see your, your part, yeah, partner, Amy Lingard, the specialist at the mm-hmm. clinic. But also come see Richard, despite his... Uh, his uh, uh, comments. He's, he's a very, very good vet, very good feline vet. If you got a, if you got a dog or a rabbit or a guinea or a bird, don't go. No, don't go no. and say Richard, but a cat. The yes. meowing yeah. variety. Yeah. <laughs> Come and say Richard. You're uh, in uh, in Pran, aren't you, mate? Miller Street, Pran. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and uh, ring up and ask for for Richard himself. All right, mate. Thanks very much for coming out and uh, and having a or well, having us out yeah. to have a chat to you in, in, in you. your convalescence and uh, looking at the time, mate. I think it's about time for another another uh, bit of med- med- medication, mate. <laughs> no, no, another dose of non steroidal anti-inflammatory. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. All right, mate.
Thanks for coming <coughs> on. Um, so no, thanks, guys. And uh, listeners, if you want to uh, send us any questions or anything like that, you can find us at, uh, you can send us an email, twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. Find us on uh, on Patreon. You can join up and be a Patreon supporter, which would be great. Um, and uh, you can send us, uh, you can find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. And and next week, next week, we've yes. got a big scoop next week. Big scoop. No, we, we, um, we thought we'd warm up with Richard this week. Yes. Um, but next week we are interviewing a celebrity, Robbie, aren't we? A celebrity TV vet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, uh, uh, any any thoughts, Richard, on who it might be? Mm. No, it's not you. All right. <laughs> is, it, is it Fat Cat? <laughs> it's Humphrey B. Bear. Okay. Humphrey B. Bear. It's going to be a very, uh, very, very, very word heavy podcast. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. next week we are interviewing, we've got Dr. Katrina Warren. Oh, yes, close. Yes, yeah, close. Um, so, she's going to, um, we're going to have a chat to her, aren't we? Yes, it'll be great. And uh, and get some insight into all about being a celebrity vet. Yeah. Um, apart from Robbie, who's uh, who's also a celebrity vet with the, uh, the leader newspaper, mate. I, I don't think 200, uh, 200 words uh, tucked in behind the, uh, the local football scores. Oh. Qualifies me as a celebrity vet. Thanks, though, Lewis. That's no, that's a, all right. I counted this week, mate. They gave you a few extra. Two and one, two. Yeah, awesome. Nice. Thank yeah, you very much. Excellent. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much, Richard, for coming out. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. All right. Scratch you later. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at VetBehaviorist. And more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.